back for an all-new episode of True Detective. Keep it. Oh. I'm Ira Madison III. Oh, no. Are we the detectives? We are not on anybody's case. Yet. Within seconds, we will be. Hi, I'm Louis Fertel. And I'm sure that Nick has a lot of hates us, too. Oh, uh, yeah. Wait, what's happening here? So the creator of True Detective, who ran the earlier seasons, went and mm-hmm. railed on the new season that just ended with Jodie Foster. And I feel like the, the real issue is it ended particularly not good or ended worse than it started. Yeah. Uh, which you could also say about the first three seasons of True Detective. Right. I, isn't the, the, Don't people Ended hate worse the second than it season? Started. Yeah, right. I want to point out, by the way, that he is not railing against the season uh, because the, the finale aired last night. Uh, and he was – he's making money off of this season, by the way. Let's put that out there, okay? So this is a show that he's at least getting a check from. He's not railing against it himself. He was reposting people railing against it Onto his personal Instagram. And oh my, my gosh. My point is if you're gonna be a bitch, yeah. <laughs> then be a bitch. Right. Like if you hate it and want to drag it, then drag it yourself and say it's not good. Don't repost other people. Cause that that's not that's not that um that's not Capote versus the Swans. That's not giving us anything fun to work with. That's like one of your random fans on Instagram. I want to know what you have to say about it. No, I hate to say, look to Nicki Minaj as a role model here, but you know how it always comes out of her mouth and she has a whole radio station for it? Like, that makes more sense. Okay. Own it, so to speak. Yeah. Tell Jodie Foster to get up on her good foot. <laughs> In Nyad, she's constantly telling her to do that, by the way. Yes. Swim on your good arm or whatever. Um, speaking of Best Supporting Actress nominees this year, though, we have Danielle Brooks with us today, who... I think it's almost fair to say gives Ugh. the performance of the year of yeah. like our number one. She does. I think I think you and I both agree that she is like the moment this year. And it's it's unfortunate that this is not going to be her awards moment this year because Davine um is running off. Uh, she is allergic everything. to losing, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> she has won every damn thing. She just collected the BAFTA this weekend. And um, wow, she's amazing too. But I don't know. I've been, I think it's because we've been watching Danielle Brooks for so long um, since she was playing Tasty on Orange is the New Black. And it seems um, ridiculous that this is one of her first big, big awards moments. You know, before we interviewed her, we're looking up her awards that she was nominated for. And I know that she has, you know, been in the Emmys, but it was not even for Orange is the New Black. It's a daytime Emmy nomination. I don't know. The the whole period when Orange is the New Black was on the air um, is is so foreign to me. It's not just pre-COVID. It's back when Netflix had about, what, three shows on the air? Right. No. If you watch Netflix, that means you watched Orange is the New Black. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the amount of people who've seen that show is also so crazy Intense, compared yeah. to whatever drops on Netflix um, this weekend. I don't know. Couple to Thruple. No, that's on Peacock. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, I do need to say quickly, I watched my first episode of Love is Blind this weekend. And I guess my oh, question is, what is wrong with all of you people? <laughs> what, what compelled you? 
for, well, it was just on at a friend's house. And they said, okay. you should watch your first episode of this. So I sat there, you know, with, with my shades like Madam Web. And I am looking at the screen. And I just... First of all, it reminded me a little bit of The Circle as a Netflix show, right? This yeah. whole idea of we're in pods and we're facing a screen and that is compelling television. And you're watching it's just the barrage of sound cues and additional like uh, VO that the uh, players have to keep adding. Like it's so produced to death. I'm not saying it's not ultimately compelling and you're just screaming at the screen as people randomly propose to like paintings on the wall or whatever's happening. But I... I just, you know what? I guess it's a renaissance of that like VH1 2000s era where it was just anything goes and you can just sit there and disbelieve and that's the whole point. Mm, you know, I have a couple of things to say about Love is Blind. One, there's a lot of controversy this weekend because one woman said that people say that she looks like Megan Fox all the time. And then this guy picked her and was clearly visibly not attracted to her. Uh, and a lot of people on the internet uh, were mad at him initially, say, well, you know, he's hideous. Or, you know, he's not even Megan Fox level. Uh, if you're going to be Megan Fox, you know, you need to be Machine Gun Kelly, you know. And my thing is, yes, he's not a hot man. I will put that out there. <laughs> That's but your also, contribution. <laughs> but also, do not go on a dating show where someone cannot see your face. And the whole point of is like you have to fall in love with them before you meet them. And then you know you're going to have to meet them. And tell this man that people say you look like Megan Fox. Now, girl, what were you doing? <laughs> right. Also, I have to say this this particular woman like keeps talking about how she's kind of like insecure about her looks. So in other words, she went on the absolute worst possible show for her where somebody can be so disappointed by your looks ultimately. Just like the it's it's therapy should have directed you away from this. It's like incorrect. Um, and you're telling also, lies. Yes. And also the thing about him is so he sees her and he's like, I'm so in love with you uh, and you're so pretty. Not that it matters how you look. But just like he has to keep saying that 50,000 times. It's like the, right. the cycle of things he has to keep saying to this woman is so depressing too. Oh, it was, And it was is tough. he saying it because he's awful and then also because she has expressed so much insecurity in how she looks? Right, 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 right. Um, also, by the way, like great looking woman. Just it's like it's like when, yeah. you, it, when you put the image in someone's head of Megan Fox, like that looks like one. You know, it's you have to look like Jessica Rabbit, basically. OK, you, know? you better be burning your tongue with a lighter and a crop top. OK, <laughs> and really horrifying Amanda Seyfried. But Jennifer's Body is a cult classic, a good film. Sure. Uh, I would even pause it. Unlike some of the things we'll be discussing today. Right. Um we're we're trapped in the web i want to say so we're not out of the web until the end of this episode so potential cult classic though madam web we are going to get into the film that everyone is talking about not many people are seeing <laughs> i have to say it was easy for me to get a ticket this weekend i do have to say <laughs> i want to say that uh my two friends and i when we saw this movie the theater was sparse when we got tickets uh on the amc app Less people than had selected tickets two days prior were actually in the theater <laughs> when we got there. So, so some it, people got refunds. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Unprecedented. Record-breaking in some way. <laughs> and then also, um, 
a film that was tailor-made for us, to be honest. Uh, Jennifer Lopez's This Is Me, dot, 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 now, which I will describe as a love letter to Leo's. The Zodiac was definitely the starring <laughs> contributor to this project. <laughs> I mean, was, this woman is reading every day what's up with her sign and everybody else's sign, etc. It's like it was sort of like the film equivalent of scrolling through uh, Instagram stories and seeing, um, you know, flashes of your friends' lives, and then also the astrology memes that they're sharing in their stories too. It's right. just like you're at a party, astrology meme. Oh, this person's engaged. Astrology meme, astrology meme. Here's an Iowa Debris clip. I don't know. Yeah. It is. <laughs> and here's a Kim Petras concert. Uh, yeah, because Kim right, Petras right. is in this too. We'll get to this movie, but the guest stars in this film are truly bonkers level casting. It was, I mean, it's zany. And I, I'm glad she went for zany. I mean, like, if yeah. you're going to spend $20 million of your own money, as she <laughs> purportedly did, I mean, Make something eye-popping, and that's uh, it's successful on that level. Yeah. Uh, so, Madam Webb, Jennifer Lopez, and Daniel Brooks coming up this episode. We will be right back. Call us Tanache because it's all hands on deck this election year. We're even putting kids to work in a fun way with merch. Pick up brand new I Can't Vote But You Can onesies and toddler tees for all the kids in your life. But if you can read that child's shirt, you're too close. That's right. You can shop all Crooked Kids merch, including Read Me a Band book onesies and Bros for Row onesies by heading to crooked.com slash store to shop. They kicked me out of the library last week when I was reading Lady Chatterley's Lover to kids, though. So oh, wow. maybe not that banned book. The most controversial girl of 1929 <laughs> right here. <laughs> the latest entry in Sony Pictures' universe of Marvel characters, a.k.a. Smoops. Smoops. It used to be called the SPUMC. All right. At one point, uh, it's giving is, rolled doll universe the smoops. <laughs> is Madam Web, who joins the ranks of Venom and Morbius as part of Sony's attempts to trick people into thinking they're watching Spider-Man films, right? Because as you know, spiders have webs, and now there's a Madam who runs the web, which was my dream. I am thrilled it's finally coming to fruition. But Sandra Bullock, watch out. Okay. Yep. <laughs> well, Sandra Bullock was the net. Dakota yes. Johnson is the web. And for a woman whose web connects them all, uh, for a woman who is Spider-Man related, it seems that her superpower is running people over with cars. Yeah. <laughs> she is a bad ambulance driver is her whole thing. <laughs> and also, I will say something that is kind of fabulous about the movie is that it takes place in 2003, which, mm. you know, when we describe Saltburn, they really mine that particular 2000s set When did you pick that worth. up? When yeah. did you pick up that it's set in 2003? They, well, well, there was a whole bunch of clues, but like when they have the giant dangerously in love Beyonce yes, that poster. One. That. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, she, she's driving uh, her car, uh, a taxi that she stole 
Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, past this big billboard uh, of the Dangerously in Love poster, and I turned to my friend and I said, this movie's set in 2003. Yes. Oh, I remember the summer very well. I came out that summer, so it was an emotional moment for me. But no, also specifically at one point, uh, I'm sorry, she's revived from some terrible accident at the beginning, and then she gets up and says, I want to go home and watch Idol. She I just know. said that. <laughs> 2000, and by, so it's 2003, which means Madam Webb is probably a claimate. That's what's going on here. <laughs> what's funny about the uh, I want to go home and watch Idol scene is that my friend Craig turns to me and he's like, Idol, which season? Don't worry, <laughs> I know. Like, he's yeah. just truly like, which season? And then once I once the Dangerous Thing and Love thing pops up and I say this is set in 2003, he's like, oh, so season one of Idol, which makes sense because I guess people would just refer to it as Idol. It was the second season, of course. Correct, so, yeah. 2002 is when they debuted. 2003 is when I saw Kelly Clarkson in concert during the summer. Of course, yes. Now I'm there. That, that's when Miss Independent came out. Yes. My question is, in 2003, would people have just been calling it Idol? I feel like we weren't that familiar with the show yet. We, you would have to say American Idol every time, but maybe people just said Idol. After season one, it was fast and loose. Okay. <laughs> it was our best friend. Yes. There, there is also a moment where <laughs> Toxic is playing on the radio oh and a right. DJ says, coming in, it's Britney Spears' Toxic. You guys are going to fall in love with this song. Give me a break. Really insane. <laughs> and then uh, and then he was like, and Renee Zellweger's about to be in Cold Mountain, and it is a polarizing one, guys. <laughs> okay, so let's take a step back and discuss what Madam Web even is. Madam Web is a clairvoyant character from the Spider-Man universe. If you are familiar with the uh, animated 90s Spider-Man uh, series that aired on Fox, when you saw Madam Web, she was an older woman. Uh, who had shades on and rode around in a um, motorized wheelchair uh, that sometimes would float, pretty much like the Professor X of yeah. the Spider-Man universe. This is her origin story. And setting it in 2003 means that, you know, she will be older once we get to the present. Also, um, because Peter Parker is not even born yet, in this film, um, uh, Madam Webb works with Ben Parker, who is um, Peter Parker's Uncle Ben, the one who dies all the time when we see a Spider-Man origin <laughs> film. And he is with Mary Parker, uh, his sister, for most of the film. Emma Roberts is Peter Parker's mother in this film. Oh, I didn't even know that. I was like, I just was like, oh, this is so strange. Emma Roberts is the movie. By the way, so it's Dakota Johnson, Sydney Sweeney, Emma Roberts, Zosia Mamet. They decided four monotone actresses was the number one. <laughs> Where was Janine Garofalo? Like, let's get the whole gamut. Madam Webb. Um, I keep calling her Madam Webb. Cassandra Webb. Uh, Dakota Johnson, <laughs> basically. Because let me tell you, if you've seen Dakota Johnson on the press tour for Madam Web, you've seen her character choices in Madam Web. This sure is basically Dakota yes. Johnson in a movie. Which is where the kind of actual value from seeing this movie <laughs> comes from. Because although, I, I mean, I can't recommend the movie because I think most of it is boring. Like, like mm. the act two and three where it gets into, 
we're fighting. Oh, no, we're falling off a bridge. Oh, there's another sign for Pepsi because that's what's running this whole operation. The thing you do get in this movie is the exposition delivered by Dakota. It's like you can see that it is painful for her, but she is also delivering it like assiduously. Like she's delivering it professionally. So it's both self-serious and so funny. I can only compare her to Gwyneth Paltrow. She has, it's like if you gave Pepper Potts like the keys to the castle or whatever. And like, this seems obvious because they were both married to Chris Martin, but there is just a particular, I'm sorry to use this verbiage, Nepo baby languor that they both have. Uh, Like you don't even fuck with me. Like I'm just over here making my goddamn risotto. Like don't, like don't even look, I'll read the lines the way they're gonna be read and that's that. (laughs) That is such a pleasure to see. It is occasionally funny. Uh, mm. Like at one point, Madam Webb is given uh, a drawing by a child and sh- she does not want it. She does not want to be looking at the drawing. <laughs> and she says, she's like, I can't even fold it. <laughs> it's just a piece <laughs> of paper. Why can't you fold it? It's like cardboard. <laughs> she, uh, by the way, she's just partners with Chris Martin. They are not oh, married. Right. Yes. I, do, yeah. I do not think that he, he is not. Um, decided to recouple yet after his conscious uncoupling. But right. his relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow and then Dakota Johnson does tell us that he has a specific type. Right, <laughs> yeah. And that and that type is uh, 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 glazed. Just, yeah. Laissez-faire women. Yes, laissez-faire is a brilliant <laughs> way to put it. Yes. Uh, so you have Madam Webb running around Trying to save three teenagers who will, I guess, become spider women in the future. You know that they will become spider women in the future because the villain in the movie, Ezekiel Sims, um, played by Tahar Rahim, who most of his lines are delivered in ADR, and I'm not, and he's not even talking about when he's in the costume. It feels no. like most of his lines were added in after the movie was shot. He's sitting in bed with a woman and kills her in the beginning of the movie. And it seems like all of his dialogue was recorded in a podcast studio. I was wondering if that was even his voice. It was full Marnie Nixon territory. <laughs> like what? Like that's how you talk. It's like, and also it's like, he must've been saying things that were totally different because it felt like the lips weren't even really matching. Like there must've been a storyline cut or something. I feel like there were several things cut from this movie and reshot and re-added and his character has the ability to see the future as well, I suppose. That is what the power of a spider bite or something from the uh, Amazon in Peru offers you. Um, and he can see these spider women killing him in the future. And so he has decided that he's going to hunt them down and murder them before they can ever do that in the future. Um, he enlists Zosha Mamet. Uh, who can hack into computers and find these women. What she is doing in this movie is like NCIS class 201. Like she truly does not leave her swivel chair the entire movie. Her whole thing is like, um, I'm at the QWERTY and there's a mainframe I have to hack into and I have to look to the right sometimes. That's her whole job. I will say that uh, in our small theater, uh, and what I've gathered from the internet, too, uh, ha- must have happened in other screenings of this movie across America, got the biggest surprise gasp in the theater of anyone. I think that people who are 
predisposed to go and see trash like Madam Web, knowing that it is awful beforehand. Um, gay men. Uh, <laughs> and women who love them. Yes. Uh, are people who love girls. And so I just hearing people go, shosh. When she popped up, it was very shocking to see her. And I'd somehow yeah, right. missed her from the entire press tour or premiere photos. I'd also miss that Emma Roberts was in this film. But um, Madame Webb, when she sees these women, here's the thing about origin stories that always stresses me out. There's just so much hemming and hawing from people who um, – you know are going to step into the superpowers that have been bestowed on them. But you see just a lot of scenes of them going, uh, do I know? Like, do I want to do this? And there's a scene where she's on the train and she has to save these women from Ezekiel, the killer. And this is her first time seeing all of them together and saying, hey, I'm coming to save your lives. The length of time it gets for her to just tell them, I can see the future and this man is trying to kill you is insane to me it took forever also so sydney sweeney is one of them but like uh, the two other in glasses uh, by the way her acting choices in the film involve taking the glasses off and putting the glasses back on right and and it's it's a very (laughs) sullen sydney sweeney performance even among sydney sweeney performances um, I just want to say that anyone but you just topped $190 million at the box office. Can you believe this is like the juggernaut that it's a perfectly uh, pleasant rom-com. I, Girl, I, I, I thought Glenn Powell was lovely in it. Thank God for that movie for Miss Sydney Sweeney. Okay. Yeah. Because mm. the way things were going for anyone but you before that movie came out, the way people were discussing it, sort of, she has sort of been at the center of two of the biggest movies of the past year that have just been sort of trashed online and the whole press tour has been funny imagine if she was in these two bombs but anyone but you is now making so much fucking money um congrats girl it's about to it's about to become the most the highest grossing shakespeare adaptation of all time (sighs) since uh and you know do you know what it's about to be nomeo and juliet is number one oh okay you know you mean oh didn't make a shit ton of money yeah, <laughs> I know. And you and you went and saw that ten times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, had a good trailer. I didn't it see did. it, but I, it was a good trailer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you didn't see Oh? Oh, not at the time. I've seen it since. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I want to see? I want to see the film adaptation of the Sierra song, Oh. <laughs> I, that, I think one time I interviewed Matt Bomer, and I think he said he was supposed to strip in the first Magic Mike 2-0. So that was basically what that was going to be. Oh, uh, what we lost as a culture. I know. I keep thinking about it. It's on uh, my mind constantly. By the way, I want to say, getting back to Dakota Johnson, the vexing thing here is we also have a Kristen Stewart situation where it's like, I can tell the audience reaction is like, She's not up for this task. This isn't like, basically, I, you can sense like some people like your parents thinking this is a bad actress. Dakota Johnson is a fucking awesome actress. When you watch her in The Lost Daughter or mm-hmm. Suspiria or that movie, A Bigger Splash, the thing is you have to give Dakota Johnson something fucked up to do. It can't mm. be just generic hero stuff. Like she kind of adds some dimensions here that like make this character way more sarcastic and curt than she would otherwise be. Because generally speaking, even though there are a couple of, sarcastic one-liners on the page 
this character is not so different than something Gal Gadot would maybe play. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's up to her to add like a sardonic personality to Mm. it. And it just made me miss when, you know, seeing Dakota Johnson and way more interesting stuff because she is so interesting. She's as interesting as the quote she is deploying on this tour, which keep getting funnier and funnier. That also brings to mind the fact that you need an actress like Dakota Johnson to be in something like this for it to become a cult classic, I guess, because if Gal Gadot is in this film, she is the opposite of charisma. And okay. no. you, you would not be enjoying it the same way if she was just walking through scenes delivering lines because she's not even delivering them in a Piazzadora way. Yeah, you know, over like the she, top. Yeah. yeah, it's really just blank. And so you need Dakota Johnson's likability. And what she did on the press tour for this film is sort of why you are going to see this movie. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's not one of those awful movies where I think that it is so amazingly camp the entire time, but there's enough in it that I was having a really good-ass time. And I will say that there is so much lack of urgency in this film. (laughs) I want people to know that when she's saving these girls' lives, she doesn't even know, by the way, how they're being tracked. So no one, right. no, one, no one figures out that maybe he's looking at security cameras or something to find them. There's no one smart in this movie who comes up with a plan. Um, there's not even one of those uh, stock characters who's like, I know a lot about computers or my dad's a police officer. They're, so they're figuring out things. This truly just, it feels a lot like Scream in a sense. The later ones in that these women are just running from a killer with no plan other than to we're running. They go to the woods and she tells them, stay here for a few hours while I go back to my house (laughs) to look at my mom's journal. At another point in the film, she goes to Peru for over a week. Yes. No, by the way, stay here in the woods while I run away is a major plot point. That's what's going on in this movie. Um, no, also, I, I will say the, the couple of lines where she's referring to her late mother's work in the Amazon, that yeah. is some camp value where she said, Mom, I hope the spiders were worth it. Like that? <laughs> yes. Hilarious. You do get a couple of scream out loud line readings like that. I just think by the second half of the movie, though, like the the protocol takes over. Like it, it just becomes the, oh, the big explosive fight. Like it gives up and becomes the CGI um, extravaganza you expect. All, the problem with all these movies is you never get to a camp classic because it reverts to the familiar so often. And it's so disappointing in this film in particular because none of them have superpowers except right. for the villain. So you're orchestrating a lot of moments where you have to get him into position for something to fall on him or just hit him with an ambulance. That was, there's a laugh out loud moment at the end of this movie where she drives an ambulance into this man. And it it is so unexpected how this happens. Excuse me. She flies through a Calvin Klein ad. (laughs) This is the second time she's hit him with a car, by the way. Uh, (laughs) By the way, that should just be a superpower. Like really good at hitting people with a car. That's fast and the furious, baby. Yeah, it's true. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Um, But Because they don't have powers, you think you could have orchestrated a better finale, something different than the usual fighting on a roof, um, and here's all this CGI. And so existing in this moment, 
when there's no, not even people flying or like trading punches or things like that. It's why did you bother to do that then? Give us something else. Right, right. Also, wait, at the end of this movie, I'm looking at my producer to make sure this is correct. So she's blind in the comics? Yes. Okay, I'm looking at him like I'm speaking Mandarin or something. I have no idea what's going on right now. (laughs) But at the end of this fucking movie, she's like sitting satisfied in kind of a wheelchair with like, like glasses on like to sort of indicate it's connected to the comics even though she's not blind Mm -hmm. and i have to say dakota johnson in that moment looks fuck they they dress her this way she looks like ray charles and those diet pepsi ads (laughs) like satisfied and glaring off into the distance (laughs) and that even for my friends who had seen the animated series uh and knew that that's what madam webb looks like in the comics continuity the whiplash to her, you know, her eyes sort of going blue. They sort of go blue at some point oh, at right. the end yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then with the, the, the just the whiplash of seeing her all of a sudden in this wheelchair and then with the glasses is so, how did we get here? <laughs> how did we get here? And you can tell the movie is going to be a mess like that with a lot of things cut and being very low budget uh, for a superhero film from the beginning. Because she's sort of, her first clairvoyant powers come to her when she uh, saves a man from drowning um, as a paramedic in the beginning of the film. The fact that you do not see her fall into this water, the fact that you do not see Adam Scott rescuing her from the water and we just sort of cut to him, you know, giving her CPR and her waking up and he's like, I had to pull you out of there. So we didn't have the budget to shoot this, huh? <laughs> didn't have a stuntman. I'm glad you told us. Yeah. <laughs> also, glad to see that, him, of course. Yes. The fact that CPR is so vital to this movie. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. There is a scene where she teaches these three girls CPR, and it happens painstakingly slow, and everybody gets a fucking turn, and she literally congratulates each one of them for how good a job they did. So you're like, how is this going to come back? Well, sorry to spoil it. They do CPR on Madam Web by the end of the fucking movie. I'm so surprised they didn't even do the Annie, are you okay, as they did it up and down. Do you know what? That's where that comes from, the line, Annie, are you okay? It comes from the CP, what the guide to CPR, like the... Um, what you're supposed to ask the doll before you begin operating on it. I did not know that. Yeah, which is from Smooth Criminal, which reminds me that J-Lo's new movie is her Moonwalker. Okay, moving on. Other question, was that cover of Smooth Criminal out by 2003? Wow, good question. That came out when I was in high school, so it it would have been out by then. It would have been out, yeah. Well, missed opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) Why can't I be the 2003 (laughs) consultant on this film? What else do you think we should have gotten in there from 2003 that we did not? Oh, shit. Well, no Lord of the Rings material. We can't mm. be merging fan- franchises. I do not want to see that. Mm. Um, other- I think we did need, based on the fact that she is dressed exactly like Michelle Branch throughout the movie, a <laughs> it should have ended with Are You Happy Now, which came out that year from the <laughs> album Hotel Paper. Now, to describe this outfit, this is a very popular white woman outfit of Quite. 2003 because um, Buffy, Buffy used to... <laughs> I caught that because <laughs> Buffy, um, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy the Vampire Slayer used to dress like this a lot too. It, it involves a chunky boot, yes. um, jeans. Kind of low so, cut jeans because yeah, that was jeans? still happening then. Yeah, yeah um, A tight fitting um, shirt that's usually like a, it could be a crop, it could be a halter, it could be a tank top sort of situation. Just a short shirt, but it's, it's tight fitting. And then a leather jacket over it. 
And it has to be like a distressed color. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, sometimes it would be like blue. Think Matchbox 20. That's yes. like that kind of vibe. Or it can be red. Like uh, think of the color of Sharon Osbourne's hair. That's mm-hmm. like the color of leather we're talking about. Yeah. But it also has to be floor length. Yes. Yeah. It can, it can be long <laughs> or it can be. I'm just I'm thinking of the store, The Buckle, which I yes. think is, people don't remember anymore. Yes. Oh, baby. I had a long um, sort of almost floor length um, suede jacket from The Buckle that I wore Jeez. constantly. A floor length suede jacket? Are you Monique? Who the fuck <laughs> would wear that? It was my favorite jacket to wear. Jesus, and I wore it. The, the original queen of comedy, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a lot to say about D.L. Hughley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? Thank you, Madawa. Thank you for taking me back. I think they should have had Liz Fair's "Why Can't I" in there. My favorite 2003 thing. Mm, they should have been. They should have gone to see uh, "When a Date with Tad Hamilton." Dang! Yes, the soundtrack we all love. Uh, so this is exactly the kind of movie that I would have loved to see um, Ebert and Roper. In 2003, because Roper joined by 2003. Yes? Yes, right, right, right. Uh, I would have loved to see them debate this movie because you know what? Ebert would have given this film a thumbs up. I do not think so. He hated the cliches of superhero movies. I know, but he always sort of gave a thumbs up to something if he even laughed or enjoyed one bit of it. And you can't tell me he wouldn't have enjoyed Dakota Johnson in this. I mean, you're conferring gay cred on Roger Ebert, which is correct. There is something gay-ish about him. I just don't know if it goes that far. Mm, Maybe Roper would have liked it. Oh, man. Man, do I hate his opinion. (laughs) And Ebert would have said... Put her in something better, not that's trash it, like it. this. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's ex- he. He always rooted for the actresses. Yes. Yeah. Um. At the end of the day, I do wholeheartedly recommend. Web. <laughs> I don't know if I recommend seeing it in a theater unless you have an AMC A list membership and your ticket's basically free. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you wander in, like if you're at the mall anyway, and you're yeah. gonna walk, walk nearby. You're Very like, oh, I have big. my Barnes and Noble coffee. I have my Sandro sweater, and now I'm going to go <laughs> to see Madame Webb. Definitely a film I would have seen multiple times in high school with different friends because high school was the era of going to see a movie Saturday afternoon or morning, and then seeing another film after it. So I definitely would have seen this free in 2003 as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. No, um, I remember in 2001 seeing like the others in Rat Race in the same day. What's wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> Two thrilling horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> the scariest part of Rat Race, of course, being Kathy Bates selling yeah. squirrels. And also Kathy and Jimmy, correct? Yes. It was Kathy Khan. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. No, I don't recommend that you run and pay money for this movie. But I do recommend that as soon as it hits streaming, get stoned as hell and okay, watch this sure. movie. It is a joy. Someone uploaded all of it to Twitter the other day, and I watched like 30 minutes of it. Okay. Actually, that is kind of a sterling um, advertisement for it. That's yeah. more. That's better than you'd think. It's better than you'd think. Yeah. You know, sterling recommendation of the film, but, you know, don't spend too much money on it. I just think there have been a lot of TikToks um, from people 
who are really going on in this movie, calling it trash, the worst thing that they've ever seen. Uh, and I think that people are people are doing a lot to get streams, obviously, on their own channels. But I don't think the movie is that abysmal um, to warrant a lot of the anger and vitriol that's being spewed at it by people online. And I think if you are doing that, you're just doing that for clicks. Okay? This movie does exist in the same year that Argyle was released. It's true. I think this movie rises to two stars and falls back to one and a half most of the time. That's what I would say. <laughs> All right. So you had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the Biodome community. You know what I mean? All right. When we are back, we are joined by Chris Martin's third wife, Danielle Brooks. Keep It is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Well, check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just weekend lounging. Doing nothing, you look great in Viore. The woman's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of the new colors before they sell out, and check out the women's daily legging, which features a high-waist, drawstring tie, and upgraded no-slip fit. For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy-lined athletic short out there. Am I wearing one right now? Who's to say? And the men's Sunday performance jogger. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. I wear this stuff all the time. I love to work out, and I need to be comfortable while I do it. There's something about the cling of the short on the thigh that is essential for me, and Viore provides it. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash keep it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash keep it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash keep it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Black Stories, Black Truths. It's a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shimerda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories and Black truths. Black stories haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. And by us, I mean me and Lewis. <laughs> I'm black, you're tan. <laughs> oh, that's extremely generous of you. I look like I belong in Portrait of a Lady, honey. It's like deep white. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town. It was also pretty boring, by the way. To the Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and made to compete in a beauty pageant, 
amazing to watch, by the way. On each episode of Wondry's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition for women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then they were ranked by a panel of judges. And that's just after Truman Capote was done with them. Unsurprisingly, it led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. We are frankly overwhelmed by our guest today. She is an iconic scene stealer in everything from Orange is the New Black to Peacemaker and the color purple on both Broadway and the screen. Every time we see her, she captivates us with her heart, wit, and dazzling charisma. Please welcome to Keep It, the Grammy winner, Tony nominee, Emmy nominee, and now Oscar nominee, Danielle Brooks. What's up, y'all? Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here with y'all. You don't even understand. I listened oh. to the podcast. And, oh, uh, thank you. you know, yeah, yeah. It's really nice to be on here. No, we um, are utterly humbled to have you here. Like, first of all, <laughs> as destined as an Oscar nomination could be, that morning mm-hmm. when I was watching the nomination scroll, I was like, let's hear that name. And then you happened. You. Tell me oh. about that moment, first of all, because again, it was inevitable for everybody else, but you lived it. So what was it like getting that news? Yeah, it was, it was the, okay. So I made a video on Instagram of like me actually capturing the moment because I have two phones and I was like, mm, you know, I'm going to capture this in case it works out in my favor. <laughs> but where I'm at, I'm in New Zealand, New Zealand, excuse me. Um, this is hard for me, this like headphone thingy, but I'm going to get it anyway. Um, I'm in New Zealand shooting um, Minecraft right now. And mm-hmm. so it was like 2.30, 3.30 in the morning when the announcement came out. And so I was knocked out cold because I had to work the next day. I was like, I'm, it's hard to sleep. But I finally like got my body to sleep. And that's why I had those like goggles. I had these like white goggles over my eyes that they like, massage your eyes to try to like knock out. Knocked out. And the only thing is my phone was on do not disturb. And the only person who can reach me was my husband. So my husband called and was like, Mama, you did it. And then my daughter's like, Ma, you did it. And I was like, are y'all for real? Or are you pulling my leg? Because my phone didn't blow up. And I thought I took it off. Do not disturb. And my phone didn't blow up. So I was like, are y'all really for real? And they was like, you for real? And I was like, oh, my gosh. this is." But you know the craziest part of it all that, like, made me choke up was when you actually get to tell your parents and mm-hmm. you... It comes out of your mouth. Mom, dad, I'm an Oscar nominee. That was trippy. That's like, it's crazy. It's not like you're saying, oh, such and such got nominated or, you know, such and such son got nominated. You are the one. That that was really like what took it for me, like took the cake. Was it coming out of my mouth and it being a reality? And it feels sort of like, like you're dreaming. 
You're like, is this a dream? This my life? No, this ain't, that's my life. Okay, okay. I guess I need to walk in it and accept this thing that I've always wanted to be true. You know, it's amazing. Amazing moment. Mm. I have to say that even when I was thinking about the roles that you've done and even talking to you now, you have such a lovely presence. And then I think about so many things that you have played. I was telling Lewis earlier, I stopped watching Orange is New Black during the prison break season because they kept doing too much to Tasty. And I was like, I honestly couldn't take it anymore. When you ended up back in prison too, I was like, girl, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just like, what does it take for you to have to sit in characters like this, sit in moments like that. I read your beautiful profile in The New Yorker with my friend Dorian St. Felix, just about how like that dinner scene in Color Purple, the famous one, you were like, I'm doing this three times, that's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's tough. It's, it is a sacrifice, you know? That's what you know, that's, that's what you're doing as an artist. You're giving of yourself. Like, it's actually a service what you're doing. But if you take your service, you know, seriously and to heart the way I do, it can cost you some stuff. Like, it can really... It's a vulnerable place to be and live in and share of yourself. But I think for me, it always goes back to the people that I feel I'm representing and being for. Like when you do something like Orange is the New Black and you know people in your life who have been incarcerated or you know, you think of all of the women that are incarcerated and don't have a voice and were, um, you know, wrongly accused, then I I have to give everything I got. You know, when I think about Sophia and all of the women who in, in my life have gone through similar um, situations, or I think about my family and how the KKK stole land from my family and, and, you know, the abuse that some of the women have gone through in my family. And I think about, you know, real life Sophia's like um, Fannie Lou Hamer, who lived that, who was actually incarcerated and who was exposed and beat up and all of those things. I, I, I would be doing a disservice if I did not lean into the hard stuff as as heavy as I do and as much as I do. Um, and so I do on, on the outside who Danielle is. I, I am a very joyful and bubbly person. Um, but the other thing is some of this you can use your imagination, but if you ain't been through stuff and have felt what it is to be hurt and unseen and feel low and undeserving or feel misunderstood and all of the things you have to pull from your own experiences too, you know? And so I think for me, that's why acting has been so therapeutic because I, all of the hurt and pain that I've gone through, I get to put into a character I, I don't want the world to always be exposed to all of the woes and issues I've had in my life. You know, maybe I'll 
you know, share more of that when I write a memoir 20 years from now and I want to tell all, you know, mm-hmm. but right now I put it into my characters. I also just think about how your life has progressed so much since when you first played this role, which is now like a decade ago. You've had a decade of experience with this particular, and of course, astounding character, going back, of course, to the uh, Oprah performance in the 80s and and the Alice Walker book. Um, Can you talk about how you met the role differently coming into it this time and how you had a ton more life experience? You're married, have a kid, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, that. those are the, the big things, but also like, Like you said, life experience. You know, when I first did um, this on Broadway in 2015, I had only been in the industry maybe three, three, four years at that point. And so I and everybody was still calling me tasty. Like, you know, nobody knew Danielle Brooks, you know, everybody's just like, that's that girl that plays tasty. You know, it's talking about, you know, having barbecue salsa and titties. Nobody was thinking like, you know, of me in, in a different sense. And so um, I really struggled when it came down to getting that Tony nomination. Like I, it took me a minute to calibrate like oh okay people are actually taking me serious and like they uh, are really rocking with what I'm bringing to the stage and and so I did go through a lot of the imposter syndrome of of disbelief that I was worthy so I think for me I, I share that because it it does go into the journey of having more life and having more artistic experience that has allowed me this ownership and power of what I know I bring to a a role. And I do give credit to Sophia because especially singing Hell No and saying Hell No to this disbelief that I am capable and worthy and I do have it, you know, I, I was able to like let it go. And so that was one thing that helped um, me artistically be able to own these moments. But also, like um, like you said, being a, a wife now and understanding what it is to truly try to hold on to Black love, it's hard. Marriage is hard. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so to get to put that into Sophia and the Harpo relationship of, of this black couple in the 1920s, thirties, trying to hold on to that love when all of they, they've been exposed to is the opposite. It's been hard. It's been, their examples have been um, very traumatic examples of of what love is watching mister and even when sophia talks about i had to fight my um uh, my daddy it, it just tells you the story right there and even especially when you go back to alice walker's words and you really look at the the relationship between harpo and sophia but then as you also mentioned being a mother you know i know the sacrifices that it takes being this little girl's chauffeur and alarm clock and being her personal hairdresser, her personal chef, her therapist, you know, um, you know, all of the things that moms have to do. Thinking about what a black woman who is now probably um, the first free, you know, woman in her you know, family having five, six kids trying to hold on to this marriage and provide and teach them that there's another way of living. 
that is a lot. You know what I mean? And so now that I'm living that and know what it is to be a mom and to be a wife and to have gone through more hardship in my own personal life, in my artistic life, I get to throw all of that at her. All of that at the (laughs) character. Especially when you're given the freedom. Like Blitz gave me the freedom to do what I wanted to do. And like, that's what you get when you kind of get out the way sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> let, you know, trust your artists. Let them do what they do. Especially like, I've been playing this role for over a year of my life. Like, come on, you know. Um, so it just it just worked out so beautifully that I got to tell this story in this this way, you know, at this time. It's just been great. It's been great. Mm-hmm. What's so exciting, I think, about seeing you play Sophia again is you coming from the theater world. In film, it's very rare that we'll have a character, we'll see them this much, unless it's like a franchise or something. Mm. And over decades and different actresses playing this role. And I have to wonder, when you're approaching a work like this versus theater, where you got more revivals in theater than we have new work. For, especially as a black artist, you know, so you're always going to be yes, doing on, Argus Wilson. You're always going to be, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, you know, so, passing it up. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> so, what is it like just knowing that you are going to be giving this important text to a new audience, but also an audience that's maybe just not super familiar with? revivals of text you know even the response to color purple coming back out again right it's like don't we already have that or not even realizing it's an adaptation of the movie you know i know i think it's 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 allowing people to just discover it how they discover it you know i think even in 1985 they went through so much backlash you know naacp coming at them and 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 boycotting the film and didn't like how you know men were portrayed in it and then there's this um surgence that happens like this electrifying moment that happens where people discover oh my god this actually was a dope film and like it actually did allow us to these black women to be the heroes or sheroes of their own story that is fire and i feel like that's what art should be it's like you discover it and you come into it when it's time for you to discover and come into it so for me it's of course I want eyeballs on it and I want people to 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 watch this film um and I ho- and I know that will happen in a in a you know large scale and but for me it's like about people coming into it when they need it and when the, you know so I'm excited to see how that manifests for this generation you know like this is a generation who is finally talking about therapy. We don't we didn't talk about that stuff back in the day. And now we're we're talking about it. And so I think people are able to use this material in a in a different way than they were in 1985. Um, and even when we talk about um, you know, uh, homosexuality, like we we have come light years from where we were in 1985, but Lord knows we still got a long way to go, you know, especially in the black community when it comes to mm-hmm. that. And so for us to continue to say, 
we're not going to shy away from this this type of storytelling. We are going to tell a story where two black women are loving each other in this way and not shy away from it. Um, and, and I just think it's a beautiful thing. And I think people will um, experience it when they need to. I don't know if I quite answered your question, but that's what was on my you heart. Did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, of course, it, in uh, preparing for the movie version of The Color Purple, you ended up talking to Oprah, who helped make the movie. And I'm, of course, you, you've talked beautifully about your connection with her. What would you say are your biggest, I don't want to say disagreements with her about how to handle the role, but are there just ways where you, you made different choices than she did, you felt? And um, what, was it, what was it like talking about those with yeah. her? I think every artist is going to make a different choice. I mean, you're going to have Felicia P. Fields, who did it on Broadway before myself. Um, you're going to have the understudies who did it after I left my production. Uh, everybody's going to have a different approach to it. And I, and what I loved about what Miss uh, uh, O did was I think she there was just an honesty in her work, maybe because of her relationship we all know her relationship to this story. Um, she just, it was so raw. But I think it was because, like, she didn't study. You know, she just, she wasn't, she didn't go to no special school. She just had to come with what she had. Um, and there was a beauty and an honesty in that. But I think for me, having spent the time at Juilliard and studied and has spent a year playing this part and, and and having an audience to really help me to craft the character and say, oh, that ain't working. That didn't work tonight. That <clears throat> that laugh really works when I hit that or they respond to that really helped to form a lot of um, what I brought into the movie. Um, you know, so I feel like we we just were going to have different approaches because we're different people, you know, especially even like when I did Piano Lesson, um, who was it was originally played by um, Apatha Murkison. And I watched her version because you can go back to like the uh, Lincoln Center library and watch, you know, oh, performances. Mm. So, oh, yeah. Y'all know about that. And I yes, have not child. seen that. I would love to see that. Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, so you can go back and watch all these archival uh, or, you know, it's in the archive. All of these Broadway performances from the 60s and 70s is amazing. 80s. <clears throat> so I watched hers. And then, you know, you have Alfre Woodard's rendition of the piano lesson. So it's just going to be be different from what the person is, is bringing to it. Um, I'm just glad I got to do it on this scale <laughs> because you know I had to audition I went through six months of auditioning for this part so I'm so glad that I got to um to do it and and really let everyone see my version of Sophia I wanted to follow up with something you just said talking about your big natural laugh uh just as a performer I'm reminded of uh Betty Davis in All About Eve uh said she was jealous of her co- co-star Celeste Holmes natural laugh and i'm just curious like it's such an amazing part of how you perform like i just like it's so memorable like when i think of this movie and this performance i think of that is that something you've had to like cultivate over time is that like a juilliard lesson like how do you get something so rich (laughs) on screen (laughs) um that one for me was truly crafted um that the laugh at the dinner scene was crafted from my time on broadway yeah, because I had done that eight shows a week for a year. I was I I just was able to listen to the audience 
and they would tell me when it worked and when it didn't. Like, so I found that <laughs> that build up from the audience. They told me what worked and what when it didn't work. So I and like so that was about timing. Um, you know, and, and, and when, like really studying, okay, when Seeley lands that joke, you know, when is the right time to bring in the laugh, to bring in the cry? Like in, on Broadway, I didn't go into the cry. Um, that wasn't a moment that I was allotted or a time that I was allotted to have. But with this, I knew after studying Miss Oprah's performance and knowing that she had improved that part about, um, you know, that monologue to Celie about, I want to thank you, Miss Celie, for everything you've done. That was an improv moment. And in our version, they wanted to find moments to cut because the movie was starting to run too long. And I remember us doing a reading at this day at dinner table and there in the script I had gotten, they had cut most of that monologue. And I went to Blitz and I said, Blitz, you can't cut this, man. This is like historical. It gives me chills talking about it. This is historical. This is meaningful to Sophia's rebirth and her renewal. And he was like, okay, sis, I got you. We're going to keep it in. And so um, I was able to do that. And I knew that's just such a moment that I've had multiple times in my life um, where I've, I've had moments of, of crying, but, or excuse me, of laughter that I've really wanted to cry. And so I just wanted um, that to be a moment for um, really black women who've gone through that, where we have to, and black men too, but like black women specifically where we've had to hold that pain in and say, when someone says to you, how are you doing? And you have to say, oh, you know, I'm doing good today when you really want to cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that was what I wanted that moment to be. Um, and I, you know, and that's what, that's what we got. So quick curveball because uh, curveball. this kind of gig has been on my mind. You hosting instant dream home which you were nominated for a daytime emmy for you were so good at that and i'm also thinking now of i don't know if you watch the traders where alan cumming is the host but there's something like as a reality host he is somehow unbelievably amazing and it's like Uh. there's something about broadway people coming into a role like this that i think is a shockingly good fit and i was wondering if it was at all freeing for you to be like here i am and they're flipping a house and i get to be myself and funny was Uh. a lot of fun Louis, I loved it. It was the best experience because I I did have so much fun. We were giving to people who were actually really deserving. I got to be myself. I didn't have to like memorize a script or anything. I've just got to speak from my heart and connect with people in like where I grew up, which is Georgia. We shot in Georgia. So it was just, or I didn't grow up there I, where I was born, I should say, but now live in Georgia. So it was just really, um, Really, really special. And I'm so sad that we are not getting a second season, even though we were Emmy nominated and we won Best mm. Show. Child, this why I don't understand how some of this stuff works. I really do not understand. <laughs> we won a full Emmy for Best Show, but we got kicked off the air. Whatever. I don't know, honey. They, I guess they're more interested in these dating shows, but whatever. We here. Netflix, get it together. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bring it back. Instant Dream Home needs to come back. Stop playing. Uh, I feel like one of my last questions for you, and I have to ask it always of someone who does theater, uh, and especially someone who went to Juilliard. And then I have a question for you all. Okay. All right. Okay, Uh, good. All right. As someone who went to Juilliard as well, is there a role that you've maybe done at Juilliard or like just a play that you've run before that you are like, it's staying on your mind and hope you get a chance to do this role? This is such a great question. Yes. Actually, I'm obsessed with Katori Hall, who went to Juilliard. Of course. Yes, of course. Uh, She is the uh, creator of Pea Valley um, in the mountaintop on Broadway. She's done a lot of stuff, but she wrote Mm -hmm. a play called Saturday Night, Sunday Morning. And Mm -hmm. I really was obsessed with that because at the time, you know, they had to cultivate every black girl from freshman year, junior year, sophomore year, senior year. They had to put all of them together to do this play because it's all black women. So they had to Mm -hmm. use every black woman in the program. But the only black girl who didn't get in the play was me. I was so hurt. I was so upset. I was like, can I please just be a fly on the wall and assist? And they they just didn't let me. And so um, I've had this thing where I just really want to put that together and produce it and direct it. I actually Mm. don't want to be in it. I want to direct it. And I don't care if it's off-Broadway or Broadway, but um, I just feel like, you know what? You don't want to even let me be in it. I'm about to do it. I'm about to really do it. <laughs> you and, know and what? The reason being, Run it. But... <laughs> that is a thing that we don't talk about enough, by the way, in theater departments across America. That happens when they do the one black play. They call mm-hmm. everybody together. I'm just mm-hmm. going to say, when I was at Loyola Chicago, we did Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And I knew we were doing it the next year. I was like, okay, I got this role. Why did a student transferred from New Orleans, like the best actor you've ever seen, he became Joe Turner, and then someone else took the other role that I was going to be getting. And I was like, oh, well, now you got one more. (laughs) Don't don't do it. Don't do it, honey, because we we coming back. We coming back hard, okay? And that's how I feel. I feel like, you know what? I didn't get put on, and that's okay, but now I have the position. I'm in the position to put other people on, Mm -hmm. and I would love to, like, just be able to showcase however many women are in that place, six, seven women and that I think are so incredible as artists, put them in the room together and direct and make something beautiful by one of my favorite, favorite playwrights, Katori. That's my goal. Yes. She's always on Broadway, so, you yes. know. Yes, and that's my girl. So uh, we, we, okay. talking. we talking, okay. we talking, we talking. Okay, good, good, what's your question for all, us? Okay, I got a... I got a <laughs> I have a uh, statement, comment, whatever, and then I have a question, I think. Hopefully it'll turn into a question. First of all, I listen to you all, and I have to say thank you for the shout-out and the love that you all gave me. Oh, please. Um, Just talking about, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but you said something like, she's like a Viola Davis child. She's going to be back. She's going to do this, you know. And I I appreciate that. But I feel like I want to know... Am I giving an energy off that, like you've mentioned, you know, I'm joyful and sometimes I come in and I just, I am just glad to be in the room, which I am glad to be in the room, believe me. But am I giving an energy off that I don't want it? Because I want Mm. it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, no. I mean, like, I... 
I, I mean, I mean, like, well, let me take that in parts. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I think the minute you appear on screen, it's like we're possessed. Like, and uh, like my text chain after we all saw the color purple, we have to talk about Danielle first before we get to oh, the rest of the movie. So wow. it was like a pressing issue how good you were in the movie. Thank Secondly, you. not one. Oh, please, no. I mean, what, okay. what would that even mean? Though it's it's so interesting what people think about that and the kind of even blame they put on people for wanting it at a given time yeah. or not wanting it enough. There's like a real metric there that's really troubling and strange and a little unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So I could understand why you would have questions about that. Right, because yeah. you don't want, not to bring up our girl Anne Hathaway, but you don't want to have a moment where people are like, well, she's talking about, like, I want this award or something. And there's because there's always a backlash against actresses who seem to be out there and say, like, I want this. Either I want this role or I want this award. Like, this means something to me. And I think mm-hmm. that... Even in the conversation today where you talked about how exciting it was for the Oscar nomination and telling your parents about it, like, that's just what people like to hear, maybe? I have no idea. But it never crossed my mind that it's like, she doesn't want this. She's just glad to be in the room because I am. I am ecstatic to be in the room. But I also would love to get on that stage. (laughs) (laughs) We literally, uh, Danielle, to be honest, we were talking about your nomination for a Tony and I'm like, Oh, well, that was the Hamilton year. Any other year, that would be a Danielle Tony. Right, you know what right. I mean? It's just like, so like, you have winner written all over you. Let's thank just say you. that. I wish we could have had more time to talk mm-hmm. because we should have allotted an hour for this conversation because <laughs> I would love to come back and talk a little bit more about the um, Tony's th- last year. Please do. Please do. So let's let's come back and talk about you that. You are always welcome to come back, when, especially because I want to okay. hear all about Minecraft. We didn't even get to talk about Peacemaker. Oh, yeah. uh, and I oh, love no. that show. I would just say that you are so great. And I have never, yes, I have never you. once doubted anybody who went to Juilliard didn't want to be on that stage. Let's just say that. <laughs> okay? I have never you're doubted right, anybody who went right. to Juilliard yeah, didn't want to no, be on that stage. So yeah, okay, we know. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank oh, you. Had guys. a blast with you. Thank you so much for yeah. your amazing answers. So appreciate Same. Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show, Hysteria, is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. 
Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. Over the weekend, J-Lo dropped This Is Me Now, her ninth studio album, and a sequel to her third studio album, This Is Me Then, from 2002. Confusing. You know, also missed opportunity for um, Madam Webb to be walking around listening to All I Have. Duh. Ugh. Again. We're, <laughs> we're doing this consulting work for free. What is wrong with us? Yeah. Uh, hire us, Sony. <laughs> uh, J-Lo also simultaneously released This Is Me Now, a love story, a companion musical film, and as you said, Lewis, this kind of is her moonwalker. It is because it's like it's it's basically a visual album. Um, mm. Ultimately, it kind of wasn't marketed as that, but it's like there's a uh, a storyline that's put together that are through a bunch of different music videos, basically. Mm. Though there are also dramatic acting moments, <laughs> and I have to say, for something she funded herself, it wasn't. A fabulous J-Lo acting performance, I didn't think. Like, I didn't think it rose to Hustlers even one time. Yeah, I would say the problem with this film, as far as um, what you were expecting from it, from J-Lo, I think we're both in agreement that she can be a fantastic fucking actress. Totally. I can think of several movies, yeah. Hustlers, um, I mean... Selena, yes. mm Mm-hmm. Even the classic Anaconda, I thought that she was she was doing a lot of really good work in that. A lot of promise. Well, and I'm Jack, <laughs> that's a high concept, and she meets it. Yeah. Uh, out of Sight is still one of the sexiest out of, movies out of sight. ever yes, made. Of um, but this film, there's not really a lot of acting to be done in it because the situations that sort of are created in this film don't really require a lot of nuance it's a lot of the plot of this movie is basically jennifer lopez has been in multiple failed marriages and her collection of multiracial multi-sexuality multi-binary friends (laughs) are constantly telling her girl you got to learn to love yourself like stop trying to get married to all these men and she keeps popping up with worse men uh, and they make fun of these relationships and she resists until her therapist played by Fat Joe. And I don't even know if played by is fair because he is sitting there and the eyelids are about at a quarter mast. He suggests that she go to a um, love support group. Uh, Because she's a love addict. 
And then she learns to love herself by the end of the movie. Throughout this, she's also having dreams that she works in an all-female factory a la Silkwood or Flashdance. Yeah, I don't Norma know. Ray. Right, it's, yeah. Uh-huh. It's called the Heart Factory. And, and they make rose petals or something, and they have like lots of heave ho um, workman choreography. And they keep a heart alive. And that is yeah. her job. I will say the opening of the film where you're introduced to the heart factory, I loved that scene because it also features my favorite song on the album, Hearts and Flowers. I think that that song is sort of like J-Lo doing what she does best. That's, I think, also the best song on the album. And the only one I really had in my head for a second. The this, the chorus of This Is Me Now, I, I also sort of had in my head. But beyond that, it's not memorable musically. I don't really love this album, to be honest. No, and it's too I wordy. Am, it's like yeah. it's too wordy and too few hooks. Mm, I am a J-Lo fan, as we've established on this show. I love her music. I think I have a playlist on Spotify called um, Every J-Lo Song I Like, and there are actually 51 songs in it. That's a lot of songs. And the thing is, she has a lot of fucking music. Right. I think that people are constantly shocked how many albums J-Lo has. And this is her ninth studio album, but she's had greatest hits compilations. She's had remix albums. Like, even just saying, if you had my love, feeling so good, love don't cost a thing, I'm real, play, I'm glad, all I have, ain't it funny? Like, I'm not even to, like, her fourth album at that point. And those are major songs. Totally. Oh, no, I mean, they were, of course, also huge hits. It's funny you mentioned feeling so good. Something this album needs is levity. Like, Mm. I think the thing she is best at is, like, exuberance. Like, I'm walking down the street feeling myself fun vibe. And you just don't get that, like, get right um, verve and sass that you would associate with j This is a self-serious album, unfortunately. It is very much I am telling this love story about who I am. I poured all my own money into it. And that, unfortunately, is to the detriment of kind of who J-Lo is as a person. I be, She's making fun of the tabloid fodder that she has been for decades, but it's not in a really fun and cheeky way. It's no. sort of in a lame way. Uh, even the nod to the um, Diddy gun incident in the movie is, is played so not even sitcom. It's it's played bad Tyler Perry comedy on TBS, to be yeah. honest. It's just a guy comes over, there's some bad jokes, a gun falls out of his pants, and then the scene is over. We don't really get to live in any of the comedy of this. And you're right, the album itself is also the unfortunate letdown for me because even if this movie were worse, even more, even if it were poorly made. I would still be rewatching scenes of it if it featured music that I liked because there's yeah, dancing right. and there's performances. Um, but when the dancing and the performances are accompanied by an album that I just sort of feel is a medium grade JLo album, l- lower than a medium grade one, then I'm just not interested in it. I also think specifically, you know what else is self serious about the actual movie? The dancing, like the mm. choreography for so many of the scenes, like when they're in therapy. Um, uh, or elsewhere, it's like it's. Please it's describe the scene. It's <laughs> she's she's a love addict, of course, and it's like the the typical sitting around in a circle, and and then all of a sudden they start 
leaning and clutching each other's hearts and like you know interpretive sad dance. Face. It's very uh. Sonia Taya on So You Think You Can Dance. <laughs> that is e- exactly what it is. Um, and also like. The thing is, the movie does go for comedy. Like they have, she has her astrological advisors who are all played by celebrities. So there's this big CGI looking room and lots of funny people are there. You got Kiki Palmer, Kim Petras is there. Trevor Noah is there. Maybe Jane Fonda does the best work in that room. She sort of gets the best lines, I think. But it Post wants Malone to be re- is also I, great. He is there. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, but, but like it, it needs this room in order to make the movie seem not self-serious because the celebrities are all sitting there like and they're all in kind of astrological garb it all looks very expensive as we said Mm -hmm. she spent 20 million dollars of her own money but it's like she the problem with j-lo i just think in general in her career is her whole vibe is i want to be taken seriously and then she has nothing she doesn't know what to do with that like Mm -hmm. she like what the entire point of this movie is i'm a love addict and then eventually she says but I'm going to keep on keeping on. It's like, well, we knew that. Yes, of course you are. <laughs> like, what's the point of this? Like, what are we actually learning? And like, we don't get any specifics about like the kinds of people she's into or mm. like, like there's one dance sequence with a man where they're sort of in an abusive relationship in a glass Rebound. house. That is in also a glass a- house. <laughs> oh God. The first thoughts popping off. Yeah. I will say that's also a good ish song. It has a good chorus. Yes, it's yeah, exactly. Another good chorus. But yeah, the whole glass house thing, and then you see other people in glass houses dancing, also no, tied no. to their man. It really is first thought, and I think therein lies the problem with J Lo. When you think of a project like this, and this is why it's never going to be fun, because something like this, you need to be a bit more incisive about how who you are, or yeah, you need right. the willingness to work with someone who is going to raz you a bit, roast you a bit. Uh, but I just don't think she's capable of that. And so the movie is sort of generic and doesn't really tell you anything about her that we didn't know, but it also doesn't comment on anything that we do publicly know about her as well. Like there's really nothing in there about her relationship with Ben and getting back together with him. And so there's nothing about Mark Anthony. Um, There's just really nothing in there that would tell you this is about J-Lo if she wasn't in it. If, yeah. if this were starring anyone else and we watched this, I would not know that this is supposed to be about Jennifer Lopez, you know? Right, right, right. And just like, even though it's eye-popping in terms of how expensive it is, nothing is gag-worthy about this except the fact that it was made. Like, it's mm. kind of cool that she made something that's outside of an album, outside of a single. And like, we want things like that. Like, it gets very conventional what pop stars release you know and it's like in a way like i kind of value taylor swift for that like how she'll just find different ways like even giving stupid clues about what the album is going to be like that's at least something different from what we get in the cycle of what comes out from various pop stars but otherwise like you go to sit down and you want it to you know dazzle you and maybe you think well she put in the effort to dance well which she always has but other than that like i'm not there's no real takeaway from it i don't know it, it's like she, it's like she had grand ambitions and then forgot to do anything with them i think the main thing is does she have anything to say no no she's not interesting yes yeah. i came away from this wondering who are j-lo's friends and we know there's leah yeah. remini but i can't imagine her having any sort of friendship like 
the friendships that are depicted in this film. I can't imagine her just casually hanging out and being chill because I think that if anything about JLo is she, she's a hard worker yes. and she's constantly working and working out and trying to be the best that she could be. We saw her um, in Vegas during her residency and she was fucking amazing. No, she's stage. gladiatorial. I, yeah. I, in a way, I wish she had explored that. Like get into that is because that is a blue rare thing about a person, somebody who is that driven and, uh-huh. and 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 the work shows like it's like she is a fabulous and so ongoing and the woman is like 55 years old i mean it's truly who has the stamina like she does yeah i mean and there would there's a potential for a story there that goes even deeper than sort of the surface level that beyonce gives us of that and i and i say surface not that beyonce is a surface level artist but i mean when she does get into her you know i'm breaking myself for my art stuff I think the most we've gotten really is um, the moments where she's sort of not really eating a lot during um, homecoming or other things like that. Yeah. Sorry, Madam Webb is driving by my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) And her license was revoked, by the way. This isn't safe. But uh, which is not to say that Beyonce gives a surface level um, presentation of herself as this sort of gladiatorial performer. But, you know, I think that the most interesting parts of the Homecoming documentary, and then also um, Renaissance is when she talks about aging and she talks about um, how she pushes herself to be this um, star. And I always want a bit more of that. And when you think about how old J-Lo is, um, she's a decade older than Beyonce. um, And that really seems to be the only thing about j-lo that's super interesting beyond her relationships spe- specific specific because yeah, right. beyonce has a lot of other things going on culturally i wouldn't mm-hmm. even say that culturally there's a lot to even mine from jennifer lopez too because she tends to just play white women in movies you know uh <laughs> me too though yeah, yeah. <laughs> last question i want to ask about this movie though and specifically for you i found it fascinating the scene where she is laying on this ornate expensive couch monogrammed with her initials by the way Mm. watching barbara streisand and robert redford in the way we were and saying barbara's lines out loud while watching the entire movie and and i'm just wondering is this something you actually do is this who you want to be i feel like yes because i feel like she's obsessed with old movies and stuff Mm -hmm. okay first of all there is that scene in I was about to call it One Fine Day, Out of Sight, where she is talking about Faye Dunaway movies from the 70s. And I know that's just written in the script, but something about that performance to me said she is really into that shit. And then secondly, didn't she do a... Th- she had the music video that was a toast to Network? Yes. Um, uh, where she does the I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. So I feel like she loves an homage. And of course, at the end of this movie, she has the uh, Singing in the Rain uh, yes. thing too. And Flashdance. That kind of connects her to... That, yeah, and Flashdance, the Flashdance video too. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's a real classic romance old movie vibe to J-Lo. Maybe she just sh- should just stay in that lane. I would love to hear her talking about films that she loves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe, that would be something specific. And yeah. get something out of that and then see how she crafts her performances. Because I, I would love to know what her inspiration was for Hustlers. Like who right. she was watching specifically and trying to emulate those performances. That is the, there are so many interesting things about J-Lo specifically that this movie unfortunately just doesn't tap into. At no, all. no, no, no. By the way, the way we were, which is in the movie, 
that particular performance, you got to go watch Barbara in this again, guys. It's an unbelievable, dramatic performance and an incredibly vulnerable performance, too, for somebody I don't think of as that vulnerable. You know what, Barbara Streisand movie, I have um, not seen, but someone was sharing clips of it um, this past weekend. I think it's called The Owl and the Fox or something. Oh, the owl and the pussycat is oh, so yeah. funny. Yes. It's her and George Siegel. That's that's one of my favorite Barbara Streisand movies. It's very like that that era when like comedies were always in a little New York apartment. You know, everything's Neil mm. Simon or everything. Butterflies are free or movies like that. Okay, yes, uh, I am looking forward to seeing that movie. There were someone was sharing clips from it on Twitter over the weekend, and I was entranced by it. Like she's gorgeous like J-Lo. too. Yes, so. exactly. You're just like J Lo. <laughs> All right, when we are back. The Keep It segment. And we are back for our favorite segment of the episode. Keep it. Lewis, what is yours? I am so sorry to be wading into the world of TikTok, which, as you know, I refuse to understand. Mm. But this weekend were the um, People's Choice Awards, where shockingly Billie Eilish was. I can't believe she went. But anyway, she was there. And uh, the world caught a uh, furtive, candid glimpse of her chatting with Kylie Minogue, who, mm. is, if, if you're watching this on the YouTube, you can see I'm wearing the Kylie Minogue necklace, because I i don't know if you know the, a fan. But they were chatting. <laughs> and Billie Eilish is caught off the record saying to her, do you see all these TikTok stars? We don't need this. First of all, Interesting that she would know to confide in Kylie Minogue about that. Just like, let me lean into the Padam Padam woman and be like, we hate these people, right? Interesting. (laughs) But she obviously did not mean to be seen saying this. She covers her mouth, but you can still see it or whatever. Anyway, so that spread around online. And then finally, this person who I guess is on TikTok named Bryce Hall is, quote unquote, this is TMZ's word, clapping back at Billie Eilish. Did we give the words clap back to TMZ? They allow that? Okay. Anyway, (laughs) he said, the internet superstar responded to Billie on where else TikTok jokingly saying he was sorry for not acknowledging her greatness or bowing down to her at the award show they both attended. And then later... His response is, quote unquote, dripping with sarcasm. And what's more, Bryce says he was a huge Billy supporter, but now the incident has him rethinking his fandom. And he says he's not going to be posting TikToks with her music anymore. Oh, you suck. You suck. <laughs> if First of all, the criticism was never just directed at him. It was just that there were tons of TikTokers there that you would take it that personally need to make a public statement about what you're going to do with Billie Eilish's music. You are you, you, you are lame. This is a lame thing you are doing. Also, I don't know if you know this about Billie Eilish. She is an Oscar-winning, probably about to be a two-time Oscar-winning, mm. Grammy-dominating superstar. Yes, she's going to be a little, like, why are TikTok people around me? She's way better than you. Like, it's right there on the Wikipedia. She's way better than you. I'm, I just think, like, you should, in a way, be like, make a joke of it and move on. I just can't imagine being that, to use a, an old word, pressed about it. Mm. Like a panini, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that's what the millennials say. Uh, yes. I, however, love TikTok and was offended by oh, the I, Eilish's I thought of you immediately. I was like, I know Ira was shattered. Uh, I love TikTok. Hey, TikTok. Can you hear me? <laughs> hey, <TikTok. laughs> I'm talking into my phone. TikTok, can you hear me? It's always listening. Right. I do <laughs> enjoy TikTok when it's like, oh, here's, here's like the history of uh, flooring at McDonald's and you're like oh mm. it used to be rectangle bricks or whatever I love that <laughs> shit but people just talking and like you know 
dancing or whatever it is. I sound like I'm 75 years old. I don't like that. Well, it's interesting that you have a TikTok, keep it because mine is about TikTok as well. Oh, really? Now, mine is about this very popular TikTok that went viral over the weekend. It's basically okay. called, Who the Fuck Did I Marry? <laughs> Great question. Very Liz Taylor. Basically, the story is that this woman met a man before lockdown, like moved in with him very quickly, uh, basically discovered he's a liar, had a couple ex-wives lie to them too. They got protective orders against him because he lies, burns bridges, etc. Mm. I learned all of this because someone did a recap of it and posted it online because mm-hmm. this story was told in 50 fucking parts. Help me, God. It was Tolstoy is, running the TikTok? Who was running it, it? And it is an, a full eight-hour work day. It's eight hours, the 50 TikToks. <laughs> what? And I want to know, what possesses people to talk so fucking long on TikTok? I love a story time. Yeah. There are very few people who I log on the TikTok, and I will sit there for the full four or five minutes that they're telling a story. But there are some people who need to keep it to 30 seconds. Because we love that. Because there are people who get online and they go, let me tell y'all a story. You know, there's this woman that I work with. I hate her. Five minutes goes by. You've told me things about everyone who works with you and have not even gotten to the story yet. We have lost the art of storytelling. And too many people on TikTok are just taking their leisurely time. And then there's multiple parts to give me the story and move on. I think everybody, this this is just my collegiate experience. I worked for a newspaper for a little while where I then became an editor. Everybody should have to do this so that you value brevity. I'm sorry. Mm. Like it's my, the soul my of wit. T- a, a, precisely. Aesop, anybody? I bet he didn't say that. Somebody like that said it. That was um, Shakespeare. But who? The band Shakespeare's sister? I'm not familiar. Um, I just cannot stand, as I've said several times in the show, long-windedness. What, what ha- what, what's so interesting is like everybody is, quote unquote, so online and everything is moving at uh, seemingly 500 miles per hour and you're getting all this content all the time. And yet I find people more long-winded than ever. It's like people think like w- once it's their time to have a social media post, they should be able to really explore and live in it and just take all the time in the world when it's like you shouldn't want to waste people's time. I don't get it. I don't get the instinct. You know, that's why this podcast has segments. Right. And we, you know, and we all why we also have editors, thank God. Otherwise, yeah. you guys would trust me on this, hate us. Yeah. Okay. We very early on we learned that this show is going to be a segmented show. Um because otherwise, we'd be one of those pop culture podcasts where we just get on and we just start talking. And then no, three right. hours later, maybe we got to the topics of the week. No, exact, No, somebody is standing by with a yardstick threatening to hit me with it. That's how we keep on track. Yeah, Chris is, Chris is off the screen right now with his painted fingernails. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Keeping it queer. Good for them. Telling us to wrap it up. Yeah. In the chat, um, which we should probably do. Let's go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> we have to get back to watching our nine-hour TikToks, of course. Yeah. Th- um, thank you to the amazing Danielle Brooks. My God. Mm, I mean, mm. can you imagine somebody as fabulous as, as her? And she, what an awesome interviewee. And also, I just want to do an addendum to that interview where 
she truly shocked us by asking us um, what she was doing wrong, which is which is crazy to me. Asking us what you're doing wrong, um, we're the ones doing everything wrong here. Uh, <laughs> look at where you are. But I just want to say that Danielle is such an amazing actress, and this is definitely a great moment for her that's happening right now. And she's obviously, you know, like. Like we were saying, Davine is running away with things right now in the awards conversation. But there are so many people who are just sort of mesmerized by Danielle's work in The Color Purple. Um, so many people who are excited to see her do more. And I think that she has a lot more Oscar nominations in her future. Certainly. So. Uh, also, again, like the color purple in some ways, like maybe has fallen away from the conversation. Make sure you see it. It's an unbelievable performance. And Fantasia is amazing in it, too. So please go see it. Don't forget to follow Crooked Media on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. You can also subscribe to keep it on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, Louis Vertel, and Kendra James. Our digital team is Megan Patzel, Claudia Shang, and Rachel Gajewski. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to Matt DeGroote, David Tolles, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support every week. He's back, baby. John Stewart, that is, on The Daily Show. Oh, I was hoping he was coming back to The Nanny. He was good in that one episode. <laughs> the late night legend returns to the Comedy Central mainstay to share his hilarious, satirical takes on the news, politics, and culture that are impacting our lives. And in an election year, you know it's about to be a wild ride. Hear daily episodes fine-tuned for your ears, along with the biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more on the Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.